I'm a really big fan of diversification. So when I talk to new investors, I tell them, listen, I know you might have access to a lot of cash on the sidelines. Like I get that, right? People have money that are locked up in their IRAs that they want to let that money free through a self-directed IRA route. So oftentimes with newer investors, they'll say, hey, you know, I've got, you know, a hundred plus in capital ready to go. All right. And oftentimes I tell them, put on the brakes, pump the brakes. Okay. The first deal that you do, I want you just to do the minimum. Okay. The second deal that, and because you're going to learn, you're going to learn a lot about the process. You're going to learn about the operator. You're going to learn a lot about the syndication space in general, because quite frankly, you know, the world is kind of against. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to talk to Jeremy Dyer, a man who's in 24 different LP positions. You might be wondering, what in the heck is that? He's a limited partner, means he's invested his own money, decent money, into 24 different funds or syndications, as well as being a GP on or co-GP on three and raises capital through fund of funds, right? So this guy is around money and business and opportunity all the time. And I'm assuming we're going to get some really, really amazing knowledge here about how we can vet syndicators, sponsors, and how you can potentially do some due diligence on this to help protect money if you're thinking about investing. So Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention the Freedom Point. He just launched, I think it was on Monday. So I'm like super stoked about this to have another great podcast out there. And if you can't tell, both of our names have freedom in it. So we got some similar uh, similar philosophies. So Jeremy, thank you for hopping on the show. And take us away, man. Give us a little bit of, of insight. 24 different syndicate or, or investments, LP investments. You know, tell us like what you've learned in that. Yeah, Matt. And first of all, thanks for having me on, on your show. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can provide some value to your listening audience there. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm in 20, 25 syndication deals now as a limited partner investor. So I would say that I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment, you know, so to speak. Um, my genesis behind being in 25 of them and continuing to build, you know, on my own personal portfolio is really because I, 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 I believe very firmly in a couple of things. Number one, diversification, right? So that was kind of the whole genesis behind why I got into uh, investing as a passive limited partner investor um, in real estate was because I wanted to diversify outside of, you know, the traditional institutional, you know, grade investment options. But within real estate, I also uh, wanted to diversify my portfolio. So about 80% of my uh, current limited partner holdings are in multifamily in states like the Carolinas, uh, the Midwest, like Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, southern states like Texas and Arizona. And then the remaining 20% are in other asset classes like assisted living, retail, flex office, self-storage, you know, just to name a few. Um, my journey really started in real estate back in 2012 um, when I got to this point in my life where I realized in order to release the dependence on the W-2, I was either going to have to actively have another side hustle, something that I was passionate in, or I was going to have to find ways in which I could create passive income. So in 2012, I started actively fixing and flipping homes and renting them out. My dad was a general contractor. My wife just happened to have a, a knack for interior design work. And so we would buy homes, fix and flip them. 
the challenge became in 2015 when the market was getting incredibly competitive. We were putting in offers on homes that we were never even able to see the inside. We were putting offers on homes with zero contingencies because the seller was getting, in some cases, 50 offers from 50 other you know, fix and flippers. So 2015, it became incredibly competitive. Second to that, we were faced with this dilemma. Do we scale the business okay, uh, and continue to create or invest in a second full-time job for me, or do we choose to exit? The writing was really primarily on the wall when two things happened. Number one, I came to the realization that in order for me to watch my children grow up, okay, and I have four of them, um, I was going to have to find a way where I wasn't swinging hammers on weekends and dealing with uh, tenants uh, during the work week while I should be spending time with my children, right, and my wife. So that was one, one kind of uh, pivot moment for me. The other one was is the last uh, asset or home that we flipped when it was time to get to the closing table, uh, the inspection report came back negative in one area, and that is the septic system failed. Okay, so we were faced with a twenty twenty five thousand dollar bill to have the septic system replaced in that single family home that we had fixed and flipped over a six month period, and that virtually bled into our most of our profits that we made on that opportunity. So twenty fifteen, we decided we've got to pivot out of active real estate investing and instead pivot into or transition into doing it passively. So in 2015, I networked my way into a sponsor that had uh, a wonderful track record, had been doing it time and time again, rinse and repeat. My wife and I made a decision to invest into our first real estate syndication in 2015. After a three-year period, we had doubled our money and we were completely hooked on the strategy. I made more money in that in that passive real estate investment than I had made on the previous three fix and flips that we did. So now if we fast forward to today, 2023, uh, we are a limited partner investor in 25 um, syndication offerings uh, as a passive investor. And a couple of years ago, um, one of my sponsors had come to me and asked me, so Jeremy, um, you're, you know, you've, you've invested with us a dozen times now, would you be willing to serve as a reference in case other investors want to learn more? And I said, absolutely, I'll do that. And after I had done that several times, the sponsor said, hey, you're pretty good at being a reference for us. Everyone that you talk to invests in our deals. Would you ever consider or think about the possibility of helping us raise uh, private money from investors in your network? And I said, sure, why not? Um, so fast forward now to today, you know, I've raised capital uh, as a co-GP on three deals and I've raised capital on four uh, projects so far as a fund of funds manager. So there's so many different directions we can go here as far as how to raise capital, how to structure things. I'd like to stay a little bit on the, the LP side at the beginning, just talking about like, you're obviously investing a lot. Like what are the things that you've learned? You're currently in 25, like have all of them gone well? Have you invested in one that hasn't yet? Yeah, great question. So I haven't lost any money, if that's what you're asking, uh, which is obviously a good thing. That's, you know, rule number one and rule number two, right? Um, so no money lost, but I have, I am in one deal that 
underwent a capital call. The deal is a great investment. It's 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 hitting all of the pro forma expectations on the rent on the rent side, on the occupancy side. The renovations are going incredibly well. The asset was purchased in early 21 with no rate cap. Okay. And it was a floater. And so obviously everybody thought back in early 2021, or at least the so-called, you know, experts, you know, that the rates were going to sit at three and a half, four percent forever. That didn't happen, right? So the rate shot up, you know, 500 bips in the SOFA rate. And, you know, here you have, you know, debt service coverage ratios, you know, on that particular deal, you know, nearing one. And when that happens, the bank makes a phone call and they say, you need more liquidity in the deal. Uh, and so that's exactly what happened with that particular deal. There was a capital call. Those that chose to participate in the capital call uh, did participate. If you didn't, your shares were obviously diluted. But as an incentive for the limited partner investors to participate in the capital call, which ended up being about 30% of the total investment, in exchange for that, the general partner in this case gave up 15% of their general partnership ownership to help sweeten this pot, so to speak, for limited partners to stay involved in that particular offering. So because I have a lot of you know, trust and faith and confidence in this particular sponsor to pull off the value add business plan and mission, I'm very confident that at the end of the day, the deal will go just fine. It just needed some additional liquidity so that the sponsor could purchase a rate cap. Yeah. We've been in, you started in 2015 investing in LP positions and we've been in a, an amazing run potentially up till now or, or, you know, who knows, but, you know, obviously, you know, the saying goes like when the tide goes out, you see who's skinny dipping. How are you, if at all, adjusting your strategy now that we might not be in as favorable situations as we were in 2015? Yeah, that's it's a really good question. And, and as you know, in real estate, it's always changing, right? And there's always, quite frankly, there's always things that are going wrong, which is why it's incredibly important, you know, that you, you know, don't just chase after the glossy pitch deck, right? You're not chasing after the highest equity multiple or the highest internal rate of return on a deal. What you really should be chasing after is who are the exceptional sponsors in the space, right? There's good ones, there's great ones, and then there's exceptional ones. And in this type of an environment that we're in right now, um, I'm a very conservative investor. Okay, so I seek cash flow, but I also seek you know equity because of my my risk reward risk return profile. You know, as an as an investor, so I w I want to see deals that are providing a cash on cash return. You know, right out of the gates, I want assurance that that is a return. You know, on my on my capital in investment, right, versus just a return on on the funds raised, so to speak. Um, the other thing is, is that I really like operators in the space right now that are vertically integrated on the property management side, on the building construction or contractor side. Why do I like that? Because it's very messy when a sponsor has a third party building contractor or property management firm that they have to fire. Okay. It's a huge disruption. Okay. It's a disruption to find the new one, to transition from the old to the new. Um, oftentimes they end up taking a couple of steps back before they can start taking additional steps forward. Uh, the other side of it is, is most of the time when the property management company and the building contractor are vertically integrated in with the operator, um, they're 
only they only have one client, okay, and that's the operator themselves, right? Um, right? You can't really fire your own property management company. You can certainly, you know, let a couple of, uh, you know, individual employees go if they're not performing, you know, based upon what the operator wants. But the idea here is they, you know, they want those property management companies that are vertically integrated. They primarily exist to break even. Right. They exist to break even. They exist so that the operator, you know, doesn't just have a finger on the pulse. They've got the full hand on the pulse. Right. So they can really kind of control, you know, those efforts to ensure that they're hitting, you know, the timeline that's expected for those reposition efforts to be completed. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Do you ever fear that someone that is vertically integrated might just be someone that like, I mean, cause like when people expand businesses, sometimes they do it, they do it really well. And sometimes it's like, well, you know, maybe you weren't ready to take on that business. Any, any due diligence you do on that side? Yeah. Um, you know, I really like working with operators that are not a team of one or two or 10. Okay. You know, I personally like to invest my capital with operators that have, you know, teams of, you know, a dozen, 15, 200, right. You know, they've got a track record. They've been in the business for, you know, several years. They've gone through times of adversity or times that maybe real estate, you know, has uh, hemorrhaged a little bit, right? Um, I, I like them to be able to have a, a track record, right? I want to see that an operator has had, you know, several deals maybe that have gone full cycle. I want to know about their communication style. That's huge. I would rather invest my money with an operator and get a lower return, believe it or not, as long as I know everything that's happening during the course of that investment, you know, cycle or hold period. So I'm a really big fan of operators being very transparent with their investors as to the struggles maybe that they're having and some of the decisions that they're needing to, to make internally to pivot in a direction in which, you know, has the investor themselves um, and their interests, you know, incredibly high. I also want to show an alignment of interest, okay? I want, to, I want to partner with operators that have at least five to maybe even seven or 10% of their own money in the deal, okay? I also want to see operators that are, giving, that are putting their investors first. What I mean by that is through the preferred return. I want to see that the preferred return sits in front of the sponsor making equity profit split when that deal goes full cycle. And I want that to be a cumulative return uh, over the course of that deal hold period. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. 
As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, and that obviously, of those, what do you think is, like, if do you think all of those must be, or you want to see a combination of those? Yeah, I mean, I would say I, you know, that's where I, that's, I'm pretty firm on that right now at this moment in time, right? Now, if you ask me in five or 10 years from now, you know, I might change my tune because my personal, you know, investor profile, right, as an individual is going to change. I'm in my mid 40s now. When I hit my mid 50s, you know, I'm probably going to be, you know, looking at, uh, maybe more a, an A share class, right? You know, less on the equity side on the back end when the deal goes for full cycle, but a higher return on the you know cumulative pref side of the house, right? Um, so I, I would say each investor needs to kind of weigh out, you know, what they're comfortable with from a you know risk return you know profile perspective, and just understand that as we age, as we get older, our priorities are just going to change, right? You know, my, my, my father invests in some of, of our deals and he's almost 70 years old. Okay. I can tell you he is not investing in ground up developments. Okay. That are going to take 10 years or longer before they go full cycle. He's just not going to, he's more after that assurance, you know, of a 10% preferred return, you know, as an example, or a deal that pays, you know, an average cash on cash return of say 6% with a 7% preferred return a deal that's not gonna go full cycle in 10 years, but a deal that might be projected to go full cycle in say two to five, right? Yeah, that makes total sense. Now you have 25 active LP investments. Why not 10? Why not 40? <laughs> yeah, I kind of alluded to this before, and that is I'm a really big fan of diversification. So when I talk to new investors, I tell them, listen, I know you might have access to a lot of cash on the sidelines. Like I get that, right? People have money that are locked up in their IRAs that they wanna let that money free through a self-directed IRA route. So oftentimes with newer investors, they'll say, hey, you know, I've got, you know, a hundred plus in capital ready to go, all right? And oftentimes I tell them, put on the brakes, pump the brakes, okay? The first deal that you do, I want you just to do the minimum, okay? The second deal that, and because you're going to learn, you're going to learn a lot about the process. You're going to learn about the operator. You're going to learn a lot about the syndication space in general, because quite frankly, you know, the world is kind of against the syndication world, right? The financial advisors aren't, you know, shouting from a rooftop that it's an investment strategy available because they don't get paid a commission on it because they can't, right? Yep. Um, and last time I checked, they're not teaching that type of an investment, you know, strategy in the public school system, in the colleges and universities, right? So it's really one of those things that you almost, you have to network your way into it and you have to do your own due diligence and, and really, you know, see or seek, you know, the information, you know, that exists out there today. Yeah. And so as we look at this, there's probably, you know, auxiliary benefits or ancillary benefits of, of being in 24, 25 LP positions, right? I mean, what is one of those that when you have a capital, uh, a return of capital, you can easily deploy it. Like kind of talk to us about the benefits of having so many besides the diversification. Yeah. Uh, great question. So the nice thing about the types of deals that I personally invest my own money into, as well as the ones that I encourage others or educate others about is the plan 
through what we call a value add business strategy. And again, it's mostly in multifamily. It's turning the units from classic to newly renovated, right? And through that increasing rents, increasing the ROI, and ultimately looking to sell you know, that asset off to an institutional buyer or another sponsor that's in the space. But the idea here is the acceleration or velocity of money, right? You know, I want to get my capital back, okay? Plus any profits and distributions that I receive on that investment as fast as possible, okay? So passive investing in real estate from my vantage point is a little bit active, okay? It's a little bit active in the sense that, you know, every three to five years on a deal that you invested in three or five years ago, when that deal goes full cycle, you now have a choice to make, okay? You have to be actively involved in what decision am I going to make now with that recycled capital plus the profit that I received when that deal went full cycle. There's obviously strategies around that, whether it's a 1031 exchange or a lazy 1031, or you just deploy the original capital plus the profit into the next deal in the same calendar year where that next deal has a cost segregation study that produces a passive paper loss you know, on your K-1 that would help go to offset any gains that you made in that calendar year. Disclaimer here, I am not a CPA. I don't think you are either, right? <laughs> We're not tax advisors. We just know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So if yeah. you're listening to this, obviously go consult with your CPA, licensed tax professionals to help give you guidance on what to do. Um, now, when you say lazy man 1031, is that cost seg uh, particularly or is, or is there another form of 1031? Yeah, it would. I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of ways that people can structure it. But the, the types of operators that I like to partner with specifically are operators that will give the option to investors to deploy a 1031 into the next deal that they have. OK, the challenge with that is there's not always another deal in the near future. OK, and there's, you know, time frames and time parameters around, you know, when you have to identify that next like kind investment. That makes sense, right? Yeah. And so it depending upon the amount that the investor is looking to execute in the 1031 exchange, it might actually make more sense for them just to take that and put it into another deal, maybe not necessarily with that same sponsor, but maybe with another sponsor that again has a has a cost seg study that produces you know a forty to sixty thousand dollar passive paper loss you know through current accelerated depreciation and bonus you know depreciation rules. Yeah. So as you've gone down this road, you eventually got brought in because I'm assuming one of the reasons, other than your sales skills and obviously you can articulate very well, is the ability to see things from so many perspectives. I'm assuming that's what gives a lot of the people you talk to on behalf of these GPs, a lot of confidence to invest, right? So like, talk to me about that transition into the GP, co-GP role, and then the fund of funds. Yeah. So I would say that the biggest uh, thing that I did as far as, you know, taking action, because that's what this is all about, right? You know, it's kind of mindset plus action is going to equal results. Okay. And we can read all the books we want. We can listen to all the podcasts we want to get the knowledge because it's all, quite frankly, it's all out there virtually for free or very low price, right? Last time I bought an Audible book, I think it was like nine bucks, right? right. So like the education is out there, right? And, and, and you can have a proper mindset. The challenge is really is really taking that next step and actually and actually putting action behind the education, right? 
And so that's largely, you know, part of my transition from active to passive and then partnering with other, you know, sponsors at the general partner level and forming funds was really because I took the time to get educated. Again, there's books out there that you can educate yourself. There's podcasts out there. You don't need to, and I'm not knocking anybody that's doing this, but you don't need to spend $50,000 joining somebody's mastermind. Okay. You don't need to spend $20,000 going to a weekend retreat. Okay. I am a hundred percent in full support of the networking side of those events. Like your, your network is your net worth, right? You've heard that before, but spending it for the education side of it, um, it's already out there for free. Okay. You can find it. All right. You could find it following a few people on LinkedIn, right? That post content, you know, myself, I do that as well to kind of educate people. But, you know, I would say the genesis of your question is, is I just decided to take action. I decided to find out who's in the game, who's the exceptional sponsors that are out there. You know, I reviewed thousands of deals. Okay. So that I could understand the underwriting side. I can understand the mind of an operator. You know, why do they think one deal is better than another? What are some of the pitfalls? You know, what are the things for me as a limited partner investor, what should I be looking at or what should I be verifying? You know, trust, but verify, right? You know, when I look at that pitch deck, you know, the glossy 17% IRR sounds great. You know, the equity multiple of a 2.2, that sounds awesome, right? But let's dig into those details, right? Let's, let's look at some of the assumptions because those projections are just merely based upon the assumptions that the operator put into their pro forma, okay? Let's look at those assumptions and let's just with an open mind, let's try to figure out if those assumptions, if we believe that those assumptions will ultimately manifest themselves in the returns that the operator is projecting. It's almost like a shark tank, right? I mean, you want to evaluate it in a similar way. I mean, obviously maybe it's not as crazy as like a brand new invention, so to speak. I mean, it's a little bit more limited to various asset classes in real estate, but, but I mean, it, it can go just as sideways as that if, if the assumptions are really bad. Yeah. Good point, Matt. Thank you. So let's talk about the fund to funds transition. So the, obviously you're doing the co GP thing. Was it an idea presented to you? Did you kind of think about like, Oh man, like I can really raise money. Yeah. A great question. So, um, largely that decision so far has been primarily based on the way in which the sponsor, you know, structures the investment, right? So on the, on the co GP side that I'm involved with on several inv investments that I'm in right now, I have to show active material participation in the execution of that business plan in order to remain compliant. So I made a transition from the uh, co-GP structure to the fund of funds because I knew that I was going to get spread too thin trying to show material participation in the business plan when I'm involved with a dozen deals, right, as a fund manager. So I chose to pivot to the fund of fund structure. And one of the things that I really like about the fund of funds, and for your listening audience that doesn't know what fund of funds means, it's basically group investing, okay? It's a group of investors that come together, we pool our money together, and we make one large capital contribution into whatever that uh, investment opportunity is. In exchange for that type of a structure, we, those that participate through the fund of funds or the pooled investment you know, type of structure are able to get preferred returns over what the traditional retail investor would get if they're going directly into the deal, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so as far as activities go, I mean, at the beginning, it was you were taking people that were referring people with capital for you to talk to them to say, hey, do we do a good job or not? Now, how did you or how are you developing an arm to attract capital to the fund of funds? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as maybe many of your listening audience knows, you can't advertise deal right. offerings, right? Um, I only raise capital on 506B offerings, you know, regulation D. So you're not going to see me putting anything out on LinkedIn or any other social platform about a deal, right? Um, because I can't. Um, so the way that I, I've structured it is I've tried to become a magnet, okay? When I say I've tried to become a magnet, I'm really trying to challenge people's investor mindsets, okay? And I'm really trying to provide as much content and education as I can on various platforms, okay? Whether that's through my email marketing, my website, LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm really trying to put as much information out there into the hands of people so that they genu genuinely want to learn more about what I'm up to, right? And so I provide some free education, you know, through my website, an ebook, um, and I'm very regular on posting on Instagram, I'm sorry, Instagram and LinkedIn, which have largely been a great, you know, funnel source for potential new investors. But beyond all of that, okay, my investors primarily that come now are people that are referred to me by other investors, okay? I would say that within the past six months, every new investor that we've brought into an opportunity in the last six months, I, I have only known for six months or less because they've been referred to me by other people that are already in my network, that are already investors through Starting Point Capital, that already know me, like me, trust me. You know, they're confident themselves in investing with us, knowing that we're going to take very seriously the fiduciary responsibility that we have to, you know, vet the deal, vet the sponsor and protect, you know, their investment that they're willing to then introduce me to those that are in their own personal professional network, including oftentimes I had an investor recently um, within 30 minutes of me uh, being on the phone with a brand new investor. He had referred me to his brother, his sister, his parents, and his neighbor. Within 30 minutes of that first call, they all invested as well. That is wild. And I mean, when you develop trust amongst people with, with needs to invest, I'm sure it spreads pretty rapidly in the sense that like, once somebody knows that you're going to deploy their capital well, then obviously, you know, that they'll share. What is your vision for your life and business in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I mean, I would like to continue to increase the frequency and the amount of education that we're providing to our investor base. Um, you mentioned early in the session that we've launched a podcast of our own, which out of coincidence has the name Freedom in it as well. Uh, so we are the Freedom Point uh, Real Estate Podcast. We just launched on Monday. Again, the the, the genesis behind that podcast is the very same thing you're doing. And that is wanting to educate, you know, your, your network and wanting to really educate others on the value of investing for the purpose of in the future, 
having more time freedom, more financial freedom, right? That's kind of the genesis behind it. So, you know, we're going to continue to to develop um, the Freedom Point Real Estate Podcast. You know, in addition to that, you know, we're going to really uh, dial down and double down on our existing investors uh, because that really is, you know, where the lion's share of our new investors come from is those that are already currently invested with us today. Yeah, fantastic. Jeremy, thank you so much for hopping on with us, sharing about your your investments and giving us some great insight. Guys, for those of you out there listening, write down something you learned from today's episode. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 